many people read this and think, well, Paul was a man of his time, no disrespect, but things have moved on. Sorry, Paul, but we don't do things like that around here. With the result that we sort of filter out this section and the next one, which we'll come back to in two weeks' time after Remembrance Sunday. But as I thought about it this week, I noticed a couple of things. Paul bases what he says not on the culture of his day, but on God's purpose in creation. So if you look down to verse 31, he's going back to the beginning. He's going back to Genesis chapter 2 and quoting that and finding there God's purpose and plan. Then the next verse, verse 32, we find the word mystery again. It runs right through the book. 1.10, Jesus bringing everything together under him. 3.10, here and now, the church, us lot, and churches around the world in all different places, brought together with a profound new identity in Jesus. And then chapter 5 here, the same word, the same idea, the mystery you're expecting in chapter 5 when you get uh, verse 31, this is a profound mystery, you're thinking, marriage. Actually, he switches again, I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's saying that actually, if you want to have a model for a good marriage, look at Christ and the church. There is something so profound about the way that Christ has won this bride for himself and brought her to him, and this unity between the Christ and the church that actually is a model for a husband and wife too. And I realized as I thought about all these things that Paul was pretty radical back then too. It's not just our culture that this stuff challenges, it's every culture which is called by God to come back to his plan and his purpose. The other thing I thought about was the agony aunts columns, or agony uncle columns in the case of uh, dear Graham Norton, Uh, the chat shows that we have, the magazine articles that get written, all discussing relationships again and again giving advice, trying to understand issues. Whenever I see friends, whether married or single, pretty much, uh, the conversation about relationships comes up over and over again. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, we as a culture, I think we know that we haven't got relationships all worked out. I think we know that. And I think we're open to good advice. So how about this teaching that we've just read through? written by an apostle, handpicked by Jesus to teach the church, applying the maker's instructions to people like us who, chapter 5, verse 1, are God's dearly loved children. Could it be that we've got something to learn from this? Well, let's look at it in reverse order. Uh, We're going to start with verse 25, husbands, then wives, so that we end with all of us, uh, with what it says to us all, married or single. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He gave himself up for her. So this section for husbands, it's not so much talking about feelings, but actions. Verse 28, husbands, it's loving your wife as your own body. And the example is remembering to eat, which most blokes, I've noticed, are pretty good at doing. We don't normally need a reminder to eat. Well, loving your wife should be that instinctive, that automatic. 
says it's not just look after your wives, it's love them. Just as Christ loved the church. Verse 27, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So husbands are to give anything and everything to the welfare and particularly the spiritual welfare of your wife that she will become more and more beautiful over time. That's the call for husbands. Now, we all love a good story or film where there's a brave young hero who struggles against the darkness, overcomes the odds, sacrifices himself, and finally gets the girl, and then lives happily ever after. Well, the story of Jesus and his church is the ultimate version of that story, the true version of that story. Jesus chooses people like you and me who are sinful to be his bride. He says, I love you, not in the way that the bridegroom says on his wedding day where he means to his wife-to-be, I love you because you're so beautiful inside and out. I love you because you make me feel such joy and delight. I feel like the luckiest bloke alive today. When Jesus says, I love you, he's saying to us, I love you in spite of yourself. I love you in spite of your sin, in spite of what's inside, because he knows it full well. And he sacrifices himself to die and to pay for all the wrong stuff in us, to then make us the people we ought to be. That's how Jesus loves you and me, his church, his bride. Not because we're beautiful already. He loves us in order to make us beautiful. Married men. And any of us who want to be married one day. That's how we should think about loving our wives. Of course, your actual wife is beautiful, I'm sure. That's why you got married. You see her qualities, her beauty. You love them. But you will also, probably before you are married, hopefully, but certainly since you've been married, see the things that actually she, she wants to grow. She wants to leave behind certain things in her character that she just thinks she just doesn't want them to be there and you don't want them to be there. They're not good for your marriage. And you want to nurture her and encourage her and do whatever you can to help her to grow more beautiful, to grow more Christ-like over the years. Use your strength for her. That's the message here to men. Not use your strength to sort of force your agenda into the relationship, to get your way, or to use that capacity men have to kind of shut off and withdraw to kind of close down emotionally when it suits you. No, you want to listen to your wife, understand your wife, use all your strength, all your ability to serve her and help her be more like Jesus. That's what Jesus does for his church. It's taking responsibility for your relationship, leading it, so that you both grow in godliness. And you know what? If you do that, your marriage will be stronger, your family life will be better, Because a good marriage is not a competition, it's an adventure together where you don't take each other for granted, you thank God for each other, you say that you love each other rather than just assuming it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Wives, verse 22. Submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I think in modern parlance that's about leadership. It's saying to a married woman that um, just as you follow the Lord Jesus' loving leadership in your life, so follow your husband's loving leadership in your marriage. 
uh, first two chapters of the Bible make it clear that God has made men and women totally equal, but not identical. He has a plan and a purpose which involves us having different roles as men and as women, particularly in marriage. And knowing that, Paul sees the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church, and he says, well, men be like Jesus in his loving sacrifice and leadership, and women be like the church in her willingness to follow that leadership and submit to it. Well, notice the kind of, this is why we started with the man, because this is the kind of man that the woman is called to submit to, a husband who loves her like Christ loves the church. Uh, Anne Atkins is an author, an actress, and a vicar's wife. Um, She writes the following. A wife does everything in her power to please her husband. He gives up everything not only to please her, but to make her beautiful, holy, happy, fulfilled, and reaching her maximum potential. They are like an actress and her agent. If she finds, if she has a good agent she will put herself completely in his hands. If he is a good agent, he will spend his time developing her talents and furthering her work. He exists to serve her. She recognizes this and submits to him. Small wonder a woman is her husband's glory. We will know he is a good husband by the beauty of his wife. a thought, isn't it? Anne's meditation on these truths. Each couple works it out differently, of course, but it's what each couple's aiming for. A partnership, not a competition. A joint adventure. The husband seeking to lead in a Christ-like way. The wife using her strength and energy and ability not to try and control or dominate her husband or manipulate, but rather to support a husband being the man of God that he's supposed to be, that she can be the woman of God she's supposed to be, together the two of them can serve God together. That's the ideal. Of course, in reality, unlike the Lord Jesus, your husband doesn't know everything about you. Unlike the little Lord Jesus, he's flawed and fallible and has bad days or weeks or months or years. It means that the wife is called to great patience. It means that she's going to need God's help to help him to be a good lead in the marriage where she can help him particularly if he's not very good at the moment communication is going to be key it's, you're going to need to tell him what's going on and do what you can to help him to man up where the role model there for masculinity is not Roman norms or European norms or African or Caribbean norms the role model is Jesus he's the true man And manliness is being like him in faithfulness and gentleness and consistency and unending love and sacrificial leadership. So if you're in a relationship which is nothing like what we've been reading about today, well, keep praying the Ephesians 3 prayer for God to give your other half the power to grasp his love. Bring him along to church. Let's talk about it. Let's study who Jesus is and this true model of manhood and masculinity. If you're single, well, at the very least, you're looking, I think, for a a guy who is someone you can respect because 
He seeks to lead you towards Christ. And so if you're single, hang in there. You're better off single than unhappily married. Or indeed in a, in a marriage where you're, you're happy on the surface, but in your heart of hearts you know it's leading you away from Jesus. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I've saved the biggest challenge today for last. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What wives are called to do in the marriage, we're all called to do in our relationships in the church. Uh, The flow here starts in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit instead of intoxicated with wine. Then it flows through verse 19 and 19 to 21 with four things. Speaking, singing, praise to God. Giving thanks for everything and then submitting to one another. And I don't know whether you've thought about that word submit. Uh, It means being subject. You think, gosh, I like that even less. It's being subject like we're subjects of a country. That's what I was reflecting on with this. If you think about being a subject of a country, it means that other people decide certain things in your life for you that you don't get a say in, doesn't it? What speed we're allowed allowed to drive at what age we're allowed to vote at. Lots of other things are decided, and we didn't get a vote in that. We didn't get a choice in that. We didn't get a choice whether we're subjects of a country, did we? We're actually subjects by force, if you think about it. If we don't do what we're supposed to do, well, we'll get fined or banned from driving or sent to prison in extreme circumstances. That's what it's like to be a subject of a country. But here... We're called to submit, to be subject voluntarily. To choose to allow the needs and the potential of other people around us to decide certain things in our lives. Think about that. Because that's what Jesus did when he saw your need and my need. When he saw your potential and my potential. He put aside what he could have chosen, and he chose to be subject to the Father and to serve us. Verse 2, he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and calls us to do the same in our lives in church. So to use our strength, so we come in, we, we get to know people, and we're thinking, How can I use my strength? How can I use my understanding, my ability, my energy, not to get what I want here, not to boss the people around me to make them, yeah, well, come on, let me persuade you to see things my way. Well, actually, no, I want to serve the other members of the church that I'm part of so that they're more like Jesus. You see? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what a spirit-filled Christian does because that's what love looks like. Now, just to close off a dead end, that might sound uh, like a recipe for collective paralysis if we're all submitting to each other, like, um, like the joke about the slowest thing on four legs. You know what the slowest thing on four legs is? Uh, two Christians trying to get through a door. Uh, after you. No, after you. No, after you. No, after you. This phrase about the reverence of Christ actually keeps the focus right, doesn't it? It means we're not... That's what we're about as church. 
is about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all for him. We're not sitting around waiting for someone to make a decision. We're already heading somewhere, following Jesus. We're not a democracy where we have to sort of vote on everything. It's not open season. Well, you know, I don't know. What, what do you want to do? We live for Jesus. We're passionate about him. We're following him first and foremost. But as we're driven and directed, we've got an attitude of mind and of heart which says, okay, mutual submission. I'm willing to be flexible to you. And you're willing to be flexible to me. We're in this together. It's why when we make decisions as a PCC, we try to talk things through to reach consensus rather than voting on things. It's why when we combine the two services, we consulted on it to try to understand as best we could what everyone was saying and come up with a time and a format that helps our church to meet all together. Now, in some things that I need to lead, because of my role as a pastor, I do need to give a lead. But whenever you experience me doing that, it should be because it's clear in the Bible rather than because it's just my personal way of doing things. And when I get that wrong, I need you to lovingly challenge me. My brothers and sisters need to correct me, just as I will seek to do so from the Bible with you. And actually, if we create a culture among us of mutual submission, sacrificial service, as a church family, that's a training ground for wives becoming the women that God wants them to be, husbands becoming the men that... God wants them to be, and all of us, in fact, becoming the human beings that God wants us to be as we're shaped by the example of Christ. So it is a real shame that submission is so misunderstood and so unpopular. It's what Jesus did for us. And I think that's the headline this morning to take away. However your situation is, whichever bit speaks most to you, This is for all of us. As we start to live our lives in godly submission and love, they will be, we trust, fruitful and blessed by God because that's the life that Jesus lived and calls us to follow. And so we we trust that. And and actually, yeah, come on. Imagine a family like the one described in the first four verses of uh, chapter 6. We didn't read it, but... It's a family where parents and children are committed to each other. Children obey their parents and parents care for their children with tenderness and without exasperating them. That's a great picture of a family. A family that's working, that's functional. Or or imagine a marriage, which we have talked about, in which the husband does express this Christ-like leadership, sacrificing his self-interest for the sake of his wife. And the wife energetically throws her energies and her abilities behind that leadership. They're a team. And that's a recipe for intimacy and security in that relationship. It's actually more more romantic than most Hollywood scripts. And imagine a church where the members don't argue for their particular interest, their particular way of doing things, but actually everyone works for the common good so that we might grow to know Jesus better and be like Jesus more and more. Submission is not old-fashioned. It's desperately needed in our self-obsessed, self-assertive world. Submission is not a sign of inferiority or weakness. It's a sign of being filled with the Spirit, being dearly loved children, and becoming more like Jesus.